Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes descriptions of being burned alive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The satisfying snap of wood pierced the evening air as Maxim watched the bulldozer upturn dozens of crosses. The small hill was full of them, hundreds at least, maybe thousands, all different sizes, from handheld relics to ones towering over 12 feet tall. And Maxim's superiors had decided they had to go, every last one. The crosses were symbols of rebellion against the Soviet occupation, and like all dissent, it had to be bulldozed out of the way. It frustrated Maxim. The Vietnam War was raging, but here they were tearing down holy relics. It felt non-essential. But he hadn't risen to the ranks of the Soviet military by questioning his superiors. He had to have faith that they had their reasons. Maxim noticed the sky was quickly growing darker and checked his pocket watch. They should be heading out soon. They had already bulldozed two sides of the hill, but they would come back tomorrow. He turned to a portion that had already been cleared hours ago, only to find it was full of crosses. Maxim looked around in confusion. Maybe he was looking at the wrong spot. But all over the hill, crosses stood, like they hadn't been clearing them for the last seven hours. He wiped the sweat from his forehead, panic made him suddenly feel hot. What was he going to tell his superior? There was no explanation for this. His chest suddenly tightened, and it wasn't just from anxiety. He slowly looked down. A pair of charred, flaking arms were wrapped tightly around his chest. Someone had grabbed him from behind, and whoever it was, their flesh was smoldering, sending clouds of steam into the cool air. A mournful wail came from behind, screaming at him to leave the hill be. Welcome to Haunted Places, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to Northern Lithuania to the Kryzhukalnas, or Hill of Crosses, and discover why to this day it's haunted. Coming up, a young woman risks her life to stand up to an army. Kryzhukalnas, or the Hill of Crosses, sits on a small mound in the middle of Lithuanian farm country, just north of the city of Sholei. The soft sounds of wind chimes greets you as you behold the eerie yet impressive sight. 
Thousands of crosses and religious symbols of all shapes, sizes, materials, and denominations cover the tiny hill. And more appear every day. A path wraps around its base, and a central walkway cuts through the thick cluster of crosses, leading up to its peak. It's unclear when this practice of leaving crosses on the mound began. The first mentions of the Hill of Crosses were recorded in 1850, but the hill's religious roots could extend as far back as the 14th century, when it's said that German warrior monks attacked a pagan castle on the hill in an attempt to Christianize the area. The cross has a long history as a Christian symbol, but on the hill, it's simply a representation of faith. Today, 75% of Lithuanians identify as Catholic after fighting for religious freedom against the Soviet occupation in the 1940s. The cross, therefore, has become an icon of religious freedom and defiance. So if you wander around the hill, you will see all types of religious icons and mementos. Because the whole point of religious freedom is that faith is for everyone, no matter what you believe in. But there are those who disagree and who want to oppress religions that differ from their own. And just like there are those who seek to oppress faith, sometimes there are equally powerful entities hell-bent on defending it. Brasa could hear the wind chimes outside the church as they moved in the light breeze. She murmured an Our Father and wrote the date in her prayer book, July 8, 1831, the date that she would tell the priest that she intended to devote her life to the Lord. Russa drew a small heart in the corner of the page and sat still for a moment, listening to the music of the wind chimes. She wondered if they were a sign. Maybe it was God telling her he approved of her choice. She hadn't always wanted to be so devoted to her faith, but she was orphaned young, and this church on the hill above Cholet had welcomed her with open arms. The congregation gave her food when she was hungry, drink when she was thirsty, and embraced her when her loneliness became too great. Their church, her church, was a place where faith was for everyone. And now that Russa was 18, she could help make sure it stayed that way. The priest crossed himself and began his sermon. He spoke about the war raging outside, about how the Russian Tsar was using religion as a weapon but he assured them that the strife was a test from God that they must overcome. Russa shivered. His words felt powerful, like an omen. The Orthodox Russian Tsar did not care for Catholicism, perhaps out of religious zeal, or maybe because he coveted the parish's land holdings. Russa had heard stories of churches being torn down throughout Lithuania, some in places not too far away. Just then, Russa heard shouts from outside. When they continued to grow louder, the priest stopped his sermon, and the congregation looked toward the windows. Russa craned her neck, trying to see out, but too many others trying to do the same were blocking her view. Then, a man nearest to the windows shouted in alarm, telling them that the Russians were outside. Russa felt a nervous twinge in her belly. The Russians might try to damage their church, or worse, she looked around at the terrified faces of her fellow parishioners. Despite her fear, Russa felt her panic fade. A strange calm came over her. She remembered they were in their church. God would protect them. 
The double doors to the chapel shuddered violently, like something had rammed them from the outside. Russa walked quietly over to the entrance, while the others looked out the windows. She curiously pressed her hands against the doors and pushed. They wouldn't budge. She pushed harder, but they were immovable. She gasped. They were locked in. Her feeling of calm quickly turned into cold dread. She looked back to the congregation in horror, but before she could say a thing, a woman at the window began to scream. The windows exploded as flaming torches were flung into the chapel. Russa hit the ground, and her prayer book went flying out of her hands, sliding under a pew. She yelped and crawled toward it. But the members of the congregation were stampeding away from the flames to the other side of the church. A sudden sharp pain shot through her hand as it was stomped on by the fleeing worshippers. The bones in her fingers crunched. She cried out in agony. Russell watched as the churchgoers crowded at the doors, trying desperately to open them as the flames ignited the pews. Then her eyes landed on the priest. He was leaning out a window, pleading with their attackers to let them out. The sight gave her strength. He was doing what he'd been tasked to do, protecting the church and the faith of the people inside. Russa clutched the prayer book in her hands and ran to him. She could hear him pleading with the soldiers to leave the hill be. As she got closer, she could finally see out the window. At the doors of the church, there were over 50 Russian soldiers, some on horseback, some with torches in their hands. The ones with torches stepped forward, ready to set the church aflame again. Russa could hear the priest praying frantically and the screams of agony at her back. She looked around for something she could do when her gaze landed on a soldier just outside. His young face was pale and the torch trembled in his hand. The man was just as afraid as they were. Russa could stop this. This is what she was meant to do. She had known there was something important about this day. She had just never thought it would be this. Russa called out, begging the young soldier to stop. She told him that the hill wasn't just for Catholics. It was for everyone. They were people, just like him. His eyes found hers, and he froze. Hope swelled in her chest. A man on a horse, Russa guessed the captain, screamed out his orders. The young man closed his eyes and shook his head, as if in apology, and let his torch fly. It joined a dozen others rocketing through the air and into the church. Russa dropped to the ground. The second wave of torches soared inside. Some smashed into parishioners who shrieked as the flames ignited their clothes. One hit the altar, setting the cross aflame. Russa felt her chest heave as smoke entered her lungs. Flames licked her feet and the walls groaned around her. The priest climbed up on the open windowsill and stared down at Russa. She searched his gaze, begging him to tell her it was going to be all right. But instead, he jumped. Others saw and followed suit. Russa heard their screams as their bodies hit the earth, and the Russians promptly ran their swords through them. She struggled to catch her breath, but her chest was full of smoke and fear. There was no escaping this. The flames were coming for her, or the blade was. So she did the only thing she could think of. She sank to her knees and prayed. 
Some parishioners saw and knelt beside her, tear-streaked and shaking. Russell watched their terrified faces calm at the sound of her voice. Prayer and love might not protect their bodies, but it would protect their souls. Russell looked up as the portion of the ceiling crashed in with a deafening crack. She would not close her eyes, because now she had faith that this atrocity was happening for a reason. She'd been chosen to protect this place and all who sought refuge here, and even death would not make her stray from this path. So, as the church collapsed, Russell opened her arms wide, as if to embrace it, just like it had done for her. According to local folklore, long before the Kriju Kalnas was covered in crosses, it was the site of a small church. It's said that during a violent storm, it was struck by lightning and caught on fire, killing all of the congregants inside. The date of this catastrophe is unknown, but the origin behind the Hill of Crosses may be linked to another tragedy. There are theories that Lithuanians began bringing crosses to the hill as a commemoration for those who died during the 1831 rebellion against Russia. At the time, Orthodox Russia forbade Catholics from burying their dead in cemeteries. The crosses on the hill might have begun as a discreet way to pay tribute to those who died. But for some, they were holy relics to keep their loved ones alive. Coming up, a desperate thief tries to save his daughter from death. The CIA. They're the first line of defense for the United States, analyzing intelligence to thwart any possible threats and keep us safe. Some of their involvements are made public, and others aren't. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast, and in honor of America's birthday, we're uncovering the cases you were never supposed to know about in the new series, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. From international assassination plots and mind control experiments to catastrophic cover-ups and secret societies fit for film, sift through the agency's most questioned and controversial affairs. Each week, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition exposes the covert operations intended to protect us from conflicts, but end up creating conspiracies. Where does the truth lie? Where do the lies end? And how much do we really want to know? Follow the new Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Though some link the Hill of Crosses to the 1831 Lithuanian Rebellion, Others say that its origins didn't begin until decades later, at the end of the 19th century. At the time, it's said that a vision of the Virgin Mary holding the baby Jesus appeared on the hill and ordained that the site was to be covered in holy relics. This, of course, came to pass, and for years the Krishu Kalnis stood undisturbed. But during the years of Soviet occupation, the crosses were seen as a symbol of defiance against their occupation of Lithuania. The Soviets cleared the hill multiple times, trying to stamp out religious expression in the area. But locals and pilgrims kept coming, sometimes in the dead of night, to leave more crosses. 
It was as if phantoms replaced them faster than they could be torn down. Maybe there was a darker presence at work, rather than ardent worshippers. Perhaps the hill has its own defender, and maybe after seeing the hill's destruction once before, they were hell-bent on preventing it from happening again. Lucas glanced over his shoulder as he grabbed a delicate gold rosary from the neck of the cross. It was heavy, which told him it was authentic. He stuffed it in his pocket, hesitated, then grabbed the cross too. It was about a foot in length and made of brass. It might be worth something at the market. He bowed his head for a moment, asking for forgiveness for his thievery. It was late at night, and he stood at the foot of a rolling hill completely covered in crosses. It was supposed to be a holy place, but to Lucas, it looked something like a junkyard. Different wood and metal sculptures of crosses and other religious symbols occupied almost every square inch of the hillside, and in the middle, a path cut through the cross-laden mound leading up to the peak. He stared up at the statue of Jesus that guarded the path's entrance. Despite being carved from stone, his crucified body slumped in an impressively lifelike posture. Lucas shivered, and a wave of nausea passed through him. He knew it was wrong to steal from a holy site, but he was desperate. His daughter Gabrielle was sick, and her medicine was expensive, especially with the war on. His crops had been depleted by the Soviet army, and selling scraps at the market was the only way he and his wife could afford to keep Gabrielle alive. Stealing a few rosaries and relics was a small thing to sacrifice to save those he loved. He just had to hope God would forgive him. Voices drifted through the night and Lucas froze, his heart pounding. People were nearby, soldiers maybe. But silence fell once again and Lucas relaxed. This was forbidden ground. The Soviets had banned anyone from placing crosses on the hill. Men had been shot for even approaching this place. But despite the threat of death or jail, people still left crosses here and gold rosaries. Luckily for Lucas, he snatched a tiny marble statue of the Virgin Mary and shoved it in his pocket. He would need to bring a wheelbarrow next time. Lucas moved to the crosses, looking around for more trinkets to steal. As he wound up the path, he paused by a small clearing at the foot of a massive wooden cross. Its ornate carvings looked like they were written in Hebrew, which Lucas found strange. The cross was such a Catholic symbol. The hair stood up on the back of his neck as he heard a whispered prayer somewhere nearby. After a moment, he felt a soft tap, tap, tap on his shoulder. Someone was standing behind him. Lucas turned to face a young woman no older than 18. She held a prayer book in her hand and stared at him, frantically reciting the Our Father. Her lip curled and her eyes seethed with anger. She stopped her prayer to tell him that she'd seen him. He was stealing. Lucas backed away nervously. Her lethal expression unsettled him, and he wondered if she was a Soviet spy. She could run off now and turn him in. If he was shot or jailed, there'd be no one to help Gabrielle. He apologized and assured her he wouldn't come back. The woman said nothing. Instead, 
She grabbed his arm. He screamed as white-hot pain shot through his body. He could feel his flesh bubble under her grip. He realized her touch was burning him. He tried to pull away, but she held tight, demanding to know what he wanted. Because if he was here to cause harm, she would have to stop him. Lucas said he wasn't harming anything, and he tried to push her off. But the young woman was alarmingly strong. Tears welled in her eyes as she began to murmur another frantic prayer. Lucas pulled with all of his strength, finally wrenching his arm away. He turned to run, but immediately stopped. There wasn't a path behind him anymore. The crosses had somehow arranged themselves around him in an impenetrable wall. Then, as the girl finished her prayer, the crosses burst into flames. Lucas gasped in horror. Sweat blossomed on his forehead as the warmth in the air increased with each passing moment. He ran from cross to cross, looking for a way out, but the heat of the flames only burned his skin. Then the ground beneath him ignited. Lucas dodged a trail of fire blazing toward him and screamed for help. He looked around frantically, hoping to see someone, anyone beyond the flames. But all he saw was fire. Just then, he spotted the young woman and gasped. Her skin was charred now, and the flesh of her face was mottled and melted. She stood calmly in the center of the inferno, watching him intently. The flames around Lucas crept closer. He knew there was no way out. So he fell to his knees and prayed. He asked God to forgive him for stealing. It was for Gabrielle, for her medicine. He closed his eyes tightly as the heat of the flames seared against his flesh. Then, it all stopped. Lucas heard the roar of the fire die and felt the heat dissipate, but he still squeezed his eyes shut. Then, a cool breeze swept across his cheek, and he heard the woman's voice. She told him that the only way to protect his family was to protect his soul, because those who have faith are saved. Lucas's eyes flew open. The path had returned, but the woman was nowhere to be seen. He staggered to his feet and hurriedly emptied his pockets. He set the rosary, the cross, and the Virgin Mary statue on the nearest stone and sprinted down the path as fast as he could. But as he passed the Jesus statue that guarded the hill, he stopped. Stealing from a holy place had been the wrong choice. The hill was a place for prayer and hope. Lucas crossed himself and prayed, asking for Gabrielle's safety. Then. He ran. He didn't stop running until he was back at his small one-story home. He slammed the door shut and leaned against it, his heart pounding. A soft crying came from the other room. He was seized with panic. Gabrielle. He rushed into his daughter's room. His wife was sitting at the foot of the bed. She looked up when Lucas entered her cheeks wet with tears. Before he could ask what was wrong, she told him that a miracle had happened. Lucas finally noticed Gabrielle sitting up in bed. Color had returned to her formerly ashen skin, 
and her eyes were bright. She'd been on death's door when Lucas left just hours ago, and somehow she'd been healed. Lucas rushed to her bedside and wrapped her in his arms. And all the while, the words of the young woman in the hill echoed in his ears. Those who have faith are saved. One of the most famous legends about the Hill of Crosses claims that while a father sat at his daughter's deathbed, he had a vision of a woman. She told him that if he carved a cross and brought it to the hill, his daughter would survive. When the father returned home from his journey, his daughter had miraculously recovered. This is one of a few stories that has made the Hill of Crosses a holy pilgrimage site for many. Every day, crowds of miracle seekers will leave their crosses on the mound in the hope that their prayers will be answered. It's this hope that the Soviet Union saw as a threat during their occupation of Lithuania. But despite the threat of punishment, people still visited the hill in the dead of night to leave their crosses because true faith can't be stifled forever. Coming up, a grief-stricken girl pays the price for desecrating holy ground. Now back to the story. In Lithuania, the craft of carving oak crosses is considered an important cultural practice. But these crosses are more than just Christian symbols. They're connected with harvest celebrations, as well as Catholic ceremonies. Once carved, the cross is blessed by a priest. And according to UNESCO, a consecrated cross holds an inalienable sacred significance. The art of cross carving has been handed down through families for generations. But like with most old world traditions, modernization could put Lithuania's cross making in danger of disappearing forever. Janina stood at the peak of the Hill of Crosses, staring out at the thousands of religious icons before her. They cut into the orange, dusky sky like guardians, looming over the concrete path that wove to the top of the hill. They were so dense, she couldn't even see the ground they were anchored in. Hundreds of these crosses were made by Janina's father. A surge of grief passed through her at the thought. Her heart beat faster, and a soft sob escaped her lips. Her father had betrayed her in the worst way possible. He died. Janina grabbed a rock from the ground and hurled it as hard as she could, feeling a bit of glee when it broke the arm off a wooden cross. It was an impulsive act, but somehow it soothed her. She was furious at her father for leaving her alone. He'd spent most of his life working, making beautiful crosses for churches, and for those who wanted to trudge up this forsaken hill and leave their mark. Cross-making was a tradition in their family that went all the way back to the early days of the Russian Empire. It had been passed down from generation to generation, and Janina's father had done his work with pride. He would always tell her that part of the craft was learning to have faith and to let their ancestors guide his hand. He also told her that one day he would teach her how to do the same. But he had died suddenly of a heart attack before he could teach her anything. Janina felt a swell of rage thunder in her chest. She'd come to the hill to feel his presence, to be surrounded by the work that she'd admired all her life. 
but it was just making her feel more alone than she was before she arrived. Her hurt and anger boiled over as she grabbed another rock. She threw it hard and smashed another arm off a cross. Then she threw another and another until she sank to the ground, sobbing. When she finally caught her breath, she realized that the dusk had turned into night. She should go home, she thought. Her mother was overwhelmed with funeral arrangements, and Janina knew it was indulgent to leave her, just like it had been indulgent to smash those crosses. Suddenly ashamed of herself, Janina hurried to leave. But before she got halfway down the hill, she saw a faint orange glow coming from a cluster of crosses to her left. Janina stepped toward it, noticing a small bonfire, obscured by the silhouettes of crosses. But there was something off about the way it all looked. As Janina squinted through the darkness, she realized the crosses were moving. They weren't crosses at all. They were people, and they stood in a circle around a fire, swaying back and forth like weeds at the bottom of a lake. She could hear them praying. It was just a gathering of some folks for a service. In front of the crosses, Janina's father had likely carved. A fresh wave of anguish washed over her. She bent down to grab another rock and pelted it at the small wooden cross. The rock hit the cross hard, splintering the wood. Janina exhaled, trying to shake off her grief, when she saw movement out of the corner of her eye. She looked just in time to see someone dash behind a cross. Janita stared at the spot for a long moment, feeling a little embarrassed that someone might have just seen her throwing rocks. Very slowly, a head peered out from behind the cross. It was a young woman, clutching a prayer book and murmuring to herself. She wore a tattered black shroud, but the whites of her eyes pierced through the darkness, seeming to assess Janina with otherworldly alertness. Then, she addressed Janina by name and asked her if she sought to do harm there. Janina froze. How did this lady know her name? If she was from the village, she'd tell everyone that Janina had been here smashing crosses. Janina's poor mother would be humiliated. Janina panicked and ran. Janina could hear the woman running behind her. She looked over her shoulder, but was surprised to see the path was empty. She stopped running, her eyes searching the dark. Then she turned around. The woman was standing right in her path. She opened her arms and told Janina that she could help save her soul. She just had to embrace faith. Janina's hair stood on end. The intense expression on the woman's face was scaring her, and now she was blocking her only way out. There was no other place for Janina to run, but through the crosses. Janina banked a left through the dense crosses at the side of the path. She winced as her bare arm brushed against rough wood, sending splinters deep into her skin. She knew that if she could cut over to the path on the other side, she could get out. But it was hard to find her footing, and she was moving too slowly. She glanced behind her and was relieved to see the woman hadn't followed. A crow swooped down at her, startling Janina. She tripped and fell, wincing in pain as another cross nicked her arm. 
She was about to pull herself free, but she found she couldn't get up. Something was holding her down. She looked over her shoulder and right into the woman's face. She was lying on top of Janina, her arms wrapped tightly around Janina's torso, holding her in place. Janina screamed. She didn't understand. A second ago, no one had been there. She hadn't even felt the woman pin her to the ground. Janina tried to push her off, but the woman's grip tightened abruptly, like she was trying to crush her. She prayed frantically in Janina's ear. The woman's body felt warm, too warm, like it was about to scald Janina's skin. Janina writhed in terror and pain as the woman's hold on her began to burn. She looked around, desperate for something that might help her fight her off. Just then, Janina's gaze fell on a short, thick oak cross a short distance away. It was shiny and glazed, with a small brand in the corner, her father's mark. Janina's eyes filled with tears as remorse surged through her, almost overcoming the physical pain attacking her senses. She was burning alive, but somehow the guilt was worse. In her final moments of agony, as her flesh melted from bone, Janina realized something. She'd betrayed the one thing her father had passed down to her, faith. Faith had guided his hand just as it would have one day guided hers. But now, that would never happen. In a fit of selfish rage, she had thrown everything away. Then, the darkness closed in, and it all slipped away. Lithuania gained independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. The country's 1992 constitution endowed its citizens the right to religious freedom. And today, despite years of Soviet and Russian occupation, the Hill of Crosses has endured and is considered a holy site. In 1993, Pope John Paul II visited the hill and left a stone marker, thanking the Lithuanians for a monument that testifies to the nations of Europe and to the whole world, the faith of the people of this land. That same faith has drawn crowds of visitors of all denominations to the hill, where they now place their own crosses or relics. Today, it's open to tourists 24 hours a day. Part of what makes the hill so special is that it's not owned by anyone. No church or organization has laid claim to the land, and the site is maintained by volunteers. Since there is no one to ordain its purpose, it can truly be for everyone, in whatever way it serves them best. It can be for prayer, rebellion, or solitude, or just for those who want to be struck by its awe-inspiring image. Because it's not just a hill. It's an immovable testament to the power of faith and resilience in the face of oppression. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time.
Haunted Places is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Kate Murdoch. With writing assistance by Nani Okulaku and Alex Garland. Fact-checking by Amber Hurley and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Greg Polson. Hi, it's Carter from Parcast. Every Thursday on Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition, we're uncovering secrets hidden deep within the archives of the Central Intelligence Agency to bring you a special collection of episodes from shows across our network. Follow the new Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories CIA Edition. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.